It's a double shot Tuesday. Is he, um... Is 50 Cent still worth 50 Cent? Is he still bigger? No? It's 53 inflation, I guess. Yeah. Right. Uh, Kano Guerra has been a guest on our show uh, before. Find his work at... Uh, on extra Twitter at CJ O'Gara and his work at Saturday Down South. Um, and first, good morning. Welcome back. How are you? I'm I'm doing really well. You know, uh, the the 50 cent question has got my brain just moving. It's a good question, uh, isn't it? At warp speed. Yeah. You is know, he still there? Is it or, or is he worth a quarter now or what? I don't know. No, I think he is. I think he is in royalties. Um, look, everybody has has their moment and has their moment in the sun. And sometimes, you know, like you, you can't stay relevant for 20 years, a la Taylor Swift, for those who want to hate on her. But, you know, 50 Cent had his moment. And now we get to just yeah. ask these questions and wonder about his legacy. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> give me the domino effect that probably we're not going to realize for a few more years of Saban's retirement because it's been fascinating to watch Connor from the day that he makes the announcement. Uh, you know, Kalen DeBoer comes in, the exit I'm going to ask you about uh, of the Alabama players, what it means to the rest of the SEC. But um, what do you think the domino effect is going to continue to be for Saban, whether it's now, next year, and years to come? Uh, it sounds basic, but just how many more teams can win the SEC? I mean, that's really, to me, why this is such a, a significant development for the conference as a whole, because this is someone that had not lost in Atlanta since Tim Tebow was in college. I mean, Tim Tebow, his junior year, by the way. I mean, that was the last time that Nick Saban lost in Atlanta, 2008. And he finished his career by 15 years of dominance in the place where, look, you have to get through if you're going to win a national championship. That's just reality. And he dominated in a way that I don't think we even appreciate in the moment right now. I think George is going to be the team of the 2020s, if I had to guess. Nick Saban won the SEC three of the four years in the 2020s decade. So I look at it from that standpoint. I said, well, Texas should be able to win the SEC. LSU should be able to win the SEC. Maybe even Ole Miss is finally going to get to Atlanta at some point and win the SEC. It feels like it is so much more up for grabs than it has been during this entire decade, decade plus of dominance. Um. The exodus of Alabama players, you know, people say, you know, would this happen if Saban was a coach? Well, of course not, but, okay. But, but um, what have I watched? Because I, I commented on this last week, Kalen DeBoer probably is going to win because he seems like a guy that's going to win everywhere. I don't know how long it's going to take. But I said I think the Alabama dominance is over. Not that they can't win, but Saban's dominance is over and, and some of those advantages are gone. But what do you make of just how many players did leave? Inevitable. Inevitable in this era. And if you want to give me a comp, I, I, I can push back on it in every single way because the transfer restrictions have never been looser. The 30-day window, which is too long, it just doesn't need to be 30 days. It can be 10 days, and it would have the same effect. And you would give players the same ability to kind of find a new home and see what the new staff looks like. 
But in this NIL world, wherein tampering investigations from the NCAA do not exist, it, it, it look, it is inevitable. It doesn't matter who the replacement was. Kalen DeBoer could have been a Nick Saban disciple, and there probably still would have been an exodus of sorts. And that's just reality for guys like like Caleb Downs and like Caden Proctor, who are going to have significant value on the open market. Julian Sane, another one, the five-star quarterback signee who ultimately goes to Ohio State. That was going to happen. It's not some indictment of the program. Everybody who would be in a spot like this would experience it. If Ohio State has a season that falls short of expectations, that feel like title or bust, Guess what we're going to see after that happens, and if they make a change to the head coaching position, we're going to see a whole lot of those players exit because that's just reality, and they have value in the open market in ways that they didn't 10 to 15 years ago with these coaching changes. Let me say, Gonzaga, as you just said, you mentioned Ohio State. I don't know what to believe. Some of the reports, they've spent as much as $13 million. Maybe it is a reaction to Michigan and the championship and beating Ohio State and Ryan Day fielding pressure. But you covered this game. That's incredible what they brought in. And clearly money is a factor in that. And as you said, the pressure to win. But that's insane, the amount of players that they brought in there. It truly is. And we've never seen this before. I mean, that's that's the thing to keep in mind. We've never seen a national champion in this playoff era. What Ohio State is attempting to do is different than what Georgia and Michigan have done during this NIL portal era. Here's what I mean by that. Ohio State is going to sign a top three high school recruiting class. They have also added a top ten transfer portal class with high price additions like a Quinshawn Judkins, like a Caleb Downs, like a Julian Sane, uh, Will Howard, obviously, coming from Kansas State, the quarterback. That, that look, you, you look across the board and you're like, wow, Ohio State is all in in every possible way. And Ryan Day brought that number up to Cleveland.com two years ago, the $13 million. And whether or not they're paying that much, I mean, clearly they're paying a lot for this roster because that's that's how desperate they are. You lose to Michigan three consecutive years, you have a whole lot of people on the back end who are like, hey, we need to do whatever we can to make this happen. If we can, then why wouldn't we? So Ohio State, a program that hasn't had to pay these head coach buyouts that other programs have, they have the money to be able to spend, and more importantly, they have the desperation. It's been 10 years since they won a national championship. If they fall short of doing that this year, there will be ramifications that are felt throughout college football. Let me slide back to the SEC and and, and take a team that maybe is striking while the iron's hot, and that's Missouri that has the year that they had that probably was able to tap into their supporters for additional, whatever you want to call it, pay-for-play NIL money. But is that what I'm watching by saying, hey, wasn't that fun? Do you want to keep this going? Because to Eli Drinkwood's credit, it looks as if they are, have sustainability here. They, I think they have more sustainability than people are giving them credit for. And, and I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, they return a lot of key pieces. I know they lose Cody Schrader, who is just everything and more that they could have possibly hoped for. A guy that only went to Mizzou because, of, as the story goes, a booster you know, on a, on a cocktail napkin convinced Eli Drinkowitz over, you know, over a, a beverage or two that uh, he deserved a walk-on spot. I mean, it's just an incredible story. But they returned so many pieces. And what they've done in the NIL space is have this legislation within that state that says, hey, if you go to an in-state school, you can collect NIL money for the high school recruits. And they have taken full advantage of that. They've got a five-star kid coming in from that state. They've been really active in the portal to replace Cody Schrader. they got a guy from Georgia State, a guy named Marcus Carroll, who could be the SEC's leading rusher by season's end in that Drinkowitz 
you know, uh, Kirby Moore offense. And yeah, they have a lot of questions on the defensive side, but there is a lot of reason to believe that what they return on offense, this could be one of the nation's best offenses, and they could be a team that doesn't go anywhere, and they could absolutely be in the mix for a spot for the 12th team playoff. We're talking about teams spending money on players, but I'm curious your thoughts on uh, what LSU spent on its defensive staff because, I mean, we glossed over that, and it's incredible, Connor. Now, we don't even flinch at coordinators making two-plus million dollars. No, we don't. Blake Baker is is worth that to, to LSU. And it's ironic because he wasn't retained by that LSU staff initially when Brian Kelly took over. And now here he is a couple years later after aforementioned Mizzou had this great two-year run on the defensive side where they really, really improved under Baker's tutelage. And they bring him on board to be able to maximize a defense that was nowhere near maximized last year. I mean, I saw them in that opener in our neck of the woods here in Orlando. And that defense was just uh, lacking so much identity. And the, the use of Harold Perkins as an off-ball linebacker with Matt House was well-documented. They're in a much better place with this defensive staff, with Blake Baker, with Bo Davis, who they brought on board from that Texas staff, uh, a guy that, that pretty much led the strength of that Texas team, that defensive line was with Sweat and Murphy this past year. And they bring him on board to improve that unit. And Corey Raymond coming back as their defensive backs coach. The moves that Brian Kelly has made this offseason on the defensive side says, hey, look, that was not acceptable last year. We're the most disappointing unit in the SEC overall. That should fuel their improvement significantly on that side of the ball. Connor, uh, uh, I like Josh Heupel. I enjoyed my time with Josh. There's some UCF fans that, 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 that were glad that he left, but, but I wish Josh well. But I'm curious your thoughts. Could his end of season gone any better in the sense of he clearly didn't have the same type of quarterback that he had last year, this year. But he ended the year with the future showcasing himself on a New Year's Day game. Were any criticism that may have been building for Hypo now, it's like, man, I can't wait to see this guy with a full season. Like It was the perfect end for Josh to go into an offseason, wasn't it? You hit the nail on the head. It was a pretty hollow 8-4 and four season for Tennessee. Not all 8-4 and four seasons are created equally. I think for Tennessee, this regression that they saw on the offensive side of the ball with Joe Milton as the starter, it just didn't work out. And they couldn't have this fully explosive offense that we've seen in the first five years of Heupel as a head coach, which, look, he had nothing but top eight scoring offenses up until this season. And this season, it just didn't necessarily take off the passing game. They didn't have the downfield threats they thought they had. They didn't have a, a guy that could accurately throw downfield. As great as Joe Milton's well-documented arm strength was, you saw in that bowl game, though, what this offense can look like. And with Nico Iamaleava still crushing the pronunciation of that one, they are excited, and they should be, because this guy is the real deal. He is as decorated as they come, the most decorated Tennessee quarterback since Peyton Manning, and there is reason to believe with the pieces they return with Brew McCoy, Squirrel White, that offensive line, which continues to add pieces, I believe this offense should get back to being one of the top eight units in the country, and the way that they showcased it in that bowl game against a very respected Iowa defense, it was music to the ears of Tennessee fans. Let me end with two ones, and you talk, we talked about obviously Georgia, Missouri, Tennessee, and here's Florida um, coming off the year they had now we learned about NCAA investigation. First, what's your thoughts on what may come out of that um, and what that does to an offseason for Billy Napier? Man, it sure seems like the NCAA has it out for the state of Florida, doesn't it? I mean, the way this has played out with Florida State as well, with 
the NIL violations. Meanwhile, the NCAA pretends that, that tampering doesn't exist, but they want to investigate things like this. I'm curious why Florida is getting investigated, but not Arizona State, the school that Jaden Rashada ended up at. Um, look, I don't know that that this administration will be around to to face whatever's coming. Even though this apparently happened, they got this this notice from the NCAA uh, back in June. I still look at this and go, "What's the NCAA really going to do? Maybe maybe they have a year bowl ban or something like that." But the NCAA continues to try and flex its muscles when it really doesn't have any. I mean, it doesn't even have popcorn muscles at this stage of the game. If I'm a Florida fan, I'm not really worried about this. Now, for Florida, they take this seriously. They took that that, that NCAA penalty with the Dan Mullen era very seriously as well and all the way that, that unfolded with the level two violations that they got. So this will be handled probably internally in a much more serious way than probably what we see in terms of any sort of punishment from the NCAA. I don't think it's, a, it's necessarily going to kill the program. I think they've got bigger fish to fry and things to get ahead of if they want to turn this this disastrous two-year runaround. I want to end with this. Uh, Connell Garrett's with us this Saturday Down South. Please check out the podcast, Saturday Down South, where you get your favorite podcasts among uh, the stuff you guys got to. Paul Feinbaum, uh, Paul Feinbaum was on uh, to promote uh, what might folks hear Paul talk about when they uh, download and listen. Yeah, I appreciate that. Paul uh, basically gave the, the entire rundown of, of finding out about Nick Saban retiring and, and you know, the, the call that he got beforehand that kind of tipped him off before even the Rose Bowl happened that, that made him think, hey, this is this is in the works. This could be happening. Um, but great stuff from him, uh, as always. We're, we're twice a week right now this time of year. Great guests coming up. Uh, a lot of great stuff to be able to talk about. It's, I know the national championship was two weeks ago, but, man, this, this business, uh, there's just always stuff going on 365 days a year. So, yeah. Saturday Down South podcast, wherever you podcast. Uh, please follow Connor on Twitter or X uh, at C-J-O-G-A-R-A. Good stuff, Connor. Thanks. We'll talk again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Uh, we come on back. There will be a new Hall of Fame class. I'm going to play the Daniels Hall of Fame game. Kyle may not be familiar with it, but I'm going to play that game coming up in a little bit. You know what that is? Oh. Uh-huh. Huh? Oh. Uh-huh. All, All right. right. Today's Double Shot Tuesday theme, artists and bands that have a number in their name. By the way, I just read they're not continuing their residency at the Sphere in Vegas. Really? Bob said we're done. I think March 2nd is their last show. I thought they built that whole thing for them. Yeah. Uh, we'll come on back. Uh, more of the beat of sports. Double shot Tuesday, 50857 on the Mills Air text line. It's a double shot Tuesday. 